Bases Bichette with the bases loaded two down seven five one two again and it's in the air shallow right down the line and dropping and two runs have scored a bloop single for Bichette has tied the game at seven and now they've got Guerrero up Platty one for four he homered in the first and the pitch and he lines it into left center and it's going to the fence Simeon will score Bichette around third he's getting the wave he will score and it's a two run double for Guerrero a five run inning for the Blue Jays and they've got a nine to seven lead. Hey, what's going on? It is At The Letters, presented by Miller Light, the original light beer. Today is Thursday, June 24th. My name's Arden Swelling. Ben Nicholson-Smith is with me, as always, and our producers are Christian Ryan and Mike Tassoni. And Ben, like, every week we spin the little roulette wheel of, like, are the Blue Jays going to be on, um, you know, this dispiriting slide of demoralizing losses, with each one being its own individual Shakespearean tragedy, or are we going to get the three or four game win streak where the bullpen is holding leads and things are going well? That's what we got for this recording. So we get to have like an optimistic episode. We get to have a, a fun one. We don't have to do the whole law. Oh, the sky is falling thing because the Blue Jays have just kind of gone in these cycles where they have had these like epic heartbreaking valleys and then these these stretches where they look like the team we all believe they can be. You know, selfishly, it's good because I think I was just running out of ways to say the Blue Jays need to add relief help. Like, I feel like the entire month of June has been like, yep, they need relief help. And then they still need relief help. And then, oh, they could really like, you know, at a certain point, you're just repeating yourself. So, you know, they've gone out there. They got, you know, John Axford, Jacob Barnes. These are small scale moves. But more importantly, to have Romano and Chatwood and Mesa go back to back. Very big outings from those guys re-stabilizes things just a little bit. Yes, and we also have the benefit of recording prior to Thursday night's game when none of those guys are going to be available, I don't think, because they've all pitched on back-to-backs. So if there's a tight lead in Thursday night's game against Baltimore Orioles, it might be like Trent Thornton and Anthony Castro time uh, when you're trying to lock that thing down in, in the eighth and ninth inning. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I know you're right. Like We started talking about this club's need for relievers, like I don't know, probably in May. And like we're such dorks, like we started so so early on the trade deadline speculation. Um, but I, you know, the, the thing that has kind of like remained consistent for me is the Blue Jays need a run at some point. And I don't know if this is the beginnings of it right now with this little four game streak that they're on and getting to play the Orioles again and the Mariners and some you know not top tier clubs. Like, is this when it's going to happen? I don't know. But like at some point, they need to outperform the pace that they've been on. To this point, like even sitting right now at two games above 500, I mean, that's great, but there are 90 games to play and the Blue Jays, if they realistically want to qualify for the postseason, are going to need, I would say, 90 wins at least uh, it's somewhere around there. Might even need more with just how jumbled up the American League is right now and the fact there might be like four 90 game winners in the AL East alone. But even if you just want to get to 90 wins, uh, Blue Jays need to go 53 and 37 over their final 90, which is like a 590 winning percentage, which is a much higher percentage than they have won at to this point. So at some point, this team's going to need to start outperforming and outplaying what it's done so far if it is going to realistically be a playoff contender. Totally. And I, I think they can do it. I really do. I don't think it's a guarantee. I'm not making any promises here on At The Letters, but I think they can do it. It's it's a talented team and they're now healthy and they're doing what they should against these teams that are not good. The Orioles and the Marlins, they're beating them. That's a good start. And then when they face the Mariners, they should beat them and then nudge the Mariners closer to selling and help themselves on two fronts. I mean, then they play the race. Then that's a chance for them to really assert themselves against a team that's already good and getting better with the addition of Wander Franco. So, of course, that's kind of looking ahead at the whole homestand. Ten games, it's a big stretch. I mean, you can say that about any ten-game stretch in the season because, you know, that it's true every time. But I still think for this team, you're absolutely right. They need to go on a run. They need to create some separation. They want to be buyers. That's clear. That's their intention. Mark Shapiro is saying that, Ross Atkins, anyone you talk to around this team, they want to add. And I think that's easier to believe when the team is two games above 500 and playing a little better. And you can kind of see, hey, this is a good team, needs some help, 
and they can help themselves, as you were saying, by going on some kind of a run where they win eight of 12 and, and make a real dent in the standings. And I guess the, the sunny view of it is that it's not like you need a dramatic overhaul to sort of the core of this club. Like you really just do need that stuff around the edges and that ancillary stuff. Because like when you think about like what like what is the Blue Jays core, right? What is the core of this team? Well, you're starting with the best hitter in baseball this season, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Pretty good place to start. And then you add on like a top five, top six, top seven MLB shortstop. And Bo Bichette, when you offensively at least, I mean, you know, defensively, like he's not one of the best, but I mean, offensively, top five, top six guy. You have the best second baseman in baseball this season. Maybe Jose Altuve is in that conversation as well. But I mean, there's three guys right there that is like a great offensive core. And I haven't even gotten to Teoscar Hernandez, who's chugging right along as just, you know, it used to be something we talked about where it was like, it's a breakout for Teoscar Hernandez. Can you believe he's doing it? And now this just is what he is, like a 125 OPS plus guy all of a sudden. And you just expect that from him. And he just has been that. Plus George Springer coming back into this lineup who can be like a top 20 offensive player in MLB when he's healthy and at his best. That's a really good core. And then you add in Hunjin Ryu and Robbie Ray, who have each been like top 30 starting pitchers this year and have both been really solid and dependable. And you're like, yeah, you can build from this. Like, this is pretty good. You can win with this group. You just need a bullpen. (laughs) You know that thing. A little more bench help. Maybe one more starter. But you don't need necessarily anything dramatic by July 30th. You need something that kind of looks like last season's trade deadline where the Blue Jays made five moves. None of them were overwhelming, but each of them really addressed an issue with the roster or at least attempted to in the you know case of Jonathan VR and you know just kind of plugged some holes around the fringes instead of kind of overhauling the core. Yeah, exactly. And when you have a strong core, then you're just in a good position to make those adjustments year after year, especially when some of your free agent one-year deals kind of become part of that core, at least for a short period of time, like Semyon and then Robbie Ray. Because in the case of Ray, you have him and Ryu. It's not like you have to worry about, hey, if this team gets to the playoffs, who starts for them? I mean, I think you would have some options. You would probably go Ryu, Ray, and then somebody else. Is that Manoa? Is it a bullpen game? Do you go by matchups? Is Mats or Stripling in that conversation? So you have the pieces for the most part, but they really do need to raise that floor. And that's still some real work that has to be done. And, you know, I know it worked out the other night on Wednesday in Miami when they pinch hit with Reese McGuire, but like they pinch hit with Reese McGuire. Doesn't that tell you everything? Like results aside, that's not where you want to be. They need a better left-handed bat. Roddy Tellez in the minors didn't cut it. They need to get another left-handed bat. That's clear. They could also use starting help, relief help, but they don't have to go out and get Jose Barrios. I mean, it would help if they could, but they don't have to. They can go out there and add someone to support, raise the floor, deepen the overall roster because the stars are there and the stars are good. Do you still see short-term urgency to address the bullpen and like short-term being like the next two weeks? Or do you think the Blue Jays can get through these next three to four weeks and get closer to the trade deadline when there are likely to be more options on the market? Good question. I think I do see the urgency in the sense that the roster is the same effectively. I mean, they added Jacob Barnes. Okay, he's the ninth reliever. So the need still exists. I I still think the same roadblocks exist too. So it's, it's a little bit of a stalemate. And I don't necessarily expect movement soon, but I think the need is as great as ever. I think if you could trade let's say Zach Logue to get, and I know Daniel Hudson's hurt, but he's the kind of reliever free agent, you know, maybe it's Yemi Garcia. I'm not sure exactly who the reliever is, but let's say it's a free agent or maybe one guy with an option for 22, veteran reliever, not a core piece for a rebuilding team, send him to Toronto, send Zach Logue to the other team, boom, that's a deal that I would make today if I was the Blue Jays. So in that sense, yeah, I see the urgency, but it's tough to meet that with real deals at this point in the season. I see the urgency too, and I don't think it's an urgency to acquire like an Ian Kennedy or Richard Rodriguez. Like I think those like top tier relief options are going to be hard to pry away at this time of year without paying like a really exorbitant price. Because like if you're the Pirates or the Rangers, you're thinking, well, you know, I've got a good offer from the Blue Jays on the table. 
they're always going to need these guys. They're among the best available. I might as well just sit on that offer for a while and wait until other teams that are currently kind of in bubble teams become buyers. And then I can, you know, increase my market and like just see what else might be out there. And hopefully that deal from the Blue Jays is, is still around. Like, I just don't know if there's the motivation on the other side to make that move right now. But like if you called the Seattle Mariners about like a JT Chagua, you know, about like one of these kind of lower tier guys, like if you called the Marlins about Richard Blyer, like I just want, you know, the Rockies about Michael Givens, like I would imagine you could pry one of those guys away for a player like you were saying, like from that tier of like a Zach Logue. Maybe a Kevin Smith, like, you know, somebody from that kind of rule five eligible group of players that the Blue Jays are going to have decisions to make on eventually. I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that you couldn't line up on something there. And I think the Blue Jays would really be aided by making a move like that in the coming weeks, at least ahead of the Rays series when you're really going to want your bullpen locked in. Like, I can see you thinking, okay, we can get through the Orioles and yeah we could probably get through the Mariners but when you play the Rays those games are going to be so important particularly in this division to be able to you know win four of six against those guys would be huge but then also to lose four of six against the Rays would really be tough for your for your chances in the AL East so I do think there still is urgency to make a short-term move to address the bullpen. Yeah, agreed. And they've got some guys, you know, internally like Patrick Murphy, who looks good early and they had him warming up in leverage on Wednesday. So kind of telling as to how they view him and how they might use him. So those are good signs. You've got to give guys different shots. I still think Anthony Castro probably can rebound from some of those struggles he's had, but you just need so many of them, right? Like we're just talking about how after two in a row, guys need nights off. So you need to have that volume, that just relentless layer after layer in your bullpen the Jays aren't close to having that now so if they add one reliever now they're still going to need another reliever later and you know it's a question obviously of you know they they first have to figure out how they value their own internal guys like a Logan Warmoth or uh, a Zach Logue or a Kevin Smith and I think those are the kinds of names that historically have come up in these types of trades when the Blue Jays were on the other side of it you look back 17 18 19 they were sellers what did they get back? They got back your Jacob Waggis packs, you know, Samad Taylor, who's now a good prospect in his own right, but at the time was a low-level flyer. You know, you look at, at the return for Daniel Hudson, it was Kyle Johnston. They got Thomas Hatch back in, in a trade as well. So you're typically getting something of interest for a veteran reliever, but you're not necessarily talking top prospects. So the Blue Jays need to look at Kevin Smith and say, hey, is he an org guy or is he a difference maker? What is that jump from AAA to the majors going to mean for him? Because it's a big jump, especially now. And same with Zach Logue, same with all these guys, guys that we're not mentioning or thinking about. Those are the guys that are going to come up in trade talks. And it's going to be an important time for the Blue Jays first and foremost to internally assess what they have and know who they have. Yeah, that class of player who is Rule 5 eligible this coming winter is really the class to like keep an eye on. Yeah. It's like it's the names that we've mentioned, right? Like Smod Taylor, Kevin Smith, Zach Logue, you know, Colin Large. Um, you know, I'm just going down the depth chart right now, like looking for guys like Kirby Sneed, Hobie Harris, Brian Baker. Like there's so many guys in that class. Chavez Young is Rule 5 eligible. Max Castillo, John Harris. I mean, like there's, there's just a lot of players in that tier that I think the Blue Jays could trade from because obviously you don't have room on your 40 for all of them. And obviously not all of them would be selected in a Rule of 5 draft, but you would think there are going to be certain guys that the Blue Jays are going to want to protect. Smod Taylor jumps out at me because he's oh, still yeah. like pretty young, right? Having a great season, not only the power, but like you look at the speed, the amount of aces that yeah, he's 16 stealing. Steals. Right. Um, the amount of positions that he's playing like this guy was, you know, built in the Blue Jays lab of what they look for in terms of like multi-positional talent, athletic, some pop hits the ball hard. Um, like it just seems like he just checks every box for them. So, you know, it might be a surprise to see them deal him. But he's a guy for sure. I would think they would want to protect against rule five. So maybe that means, yeah, Kevin Smith gets dealt right like maybe that means logan warmoth gets dealt if there's another club that wants to bet on him i know a lot of the sheen has come off of logan warmoth since he was a first round pick but maybe you find something there so there are guys that you will identify as like we want to keep this guy put him on our 40 protect him and then there are other ones where you will say instead of having to leave him unprotected and you know risk losing him in the rule of five 
let's trade him now and get something back. Yeah, I think Simon Taylor is someone you definitely protect, definitely keep. I wouldn't be in a rush to to trade him at all um, unless you're getting something controllable back just because he's 22 and he leads double A in home runs. I mean, like you said, there's a, a lot to like about what Simon Taylor is doing. So that's a real prospect. I think you try to hold on to him. But it's interesting. If you believe in him and Kevin Smith, for argument's sake, well, maybe that means you can trade Santiago Espinal and not worry <laughs> yeah. about it too much, right? So there are different ways this thing can go. Or Gabriel Moreno now having an incredible season. We'll get to him at double A as a, as a catcher who's playing a little bit of infield. Well, if you believe that he and Alejandro Kirk are your future behind the plate, I don't know, like, does that make Riley Adams more expendable? Uh, you know, just to throw some possibilities out there as this team looks to improve got to be open to anything including dealing prospects dealing off your big league roster because there are real needs on this team whether it is that bullpen help rotation help left-handed bat got to find some way to get that done and that means giving something up it's also that time of year where you start reading tea leaves and you start seeing like oh hey zach Logue got promoted to triple a a little bit out of nowhere like he was striking out a ton of dudes at double a but you know the results weren't like off the charts or anything like that gets promoted to triple a gets challenged with that oh hey the gm is bringing him up unprompted in, in scrums with us without being asked about him specifically like you start kind of reading into things like that and saying hmm you know like that is interesting to see but that's also look the blue jays like to be trading from starting depth right now is kind of an interesting line to walk because you look at Nate Pearson going down to injury it's, you're not going to be relying on him as a starter Thomas Hatch is still working through it at AAA right coming off of some injury troubles earlier this year hasn't been super efficient you know with his pitches in in his return so far obviously had that little setback when he tried to return originally you know there's probably a question about how long Alec Manoa is in your rotation like is he going to be throwing seven eight inning outings still in September are you going to be worried about the workload with him are you going to be able to go out and acquire a starter uh you know it's a pretty shallow market for starting pitching what's going to be out there are you going to be able to hit on a Robbie Rain a Taiwan Walker again are those options even going to be available to you how much do you believe in what Ross Stripling is doing and on his future in the rotation will he go back to tipping his pitches and, and struggling like trading from starting depth which Zach Logue is kind of moving himself into is a fine line to walk, I think. And the Blue Jays need to be thinking about, you know, just how their starters are going to line up going into August and September, as they obviously are. Right. You've got the volume game, which we're seeing, where you just have to be cautious about trading arms because you need volume to get through the season. And then along with that, you need to make sure that you have impact because, you know, again, thinking about the Blue Jays' goal here. So they want to win the World Series. So again, what does that look like? They're winning... The division series, the ALCS, and the World Series in that scenario. Obviously, that's the sequence of the series. So it's a good outcome. Yeah, that's the best possible outcome. That's the goal they're they're trying to orient themselves towards. So they're going to need in that scenario better relievers than what they have now, more impactful relievers than what they have now. Because let's say Ryu and Ray are rolling. Let's say they give you six and six every time out. That's still three innings every night you've got to figure out. Do you really think Meza, Chatwood, and Romano are the answer? Like, are they going to keep this up? Or do you need to go and, and reinforce that and find some guys that you're comfortable, again, in this best-case scenario, which is how you have to think, I, I would suspect, in this best-case scenario, who is retiring Altuve and Correa and Bregman when you have those guys come up and Chatwood's pitched twice in a row? And maybe in that case... Yeah, no, that would be a real possibility because that's how the schedule works. Who's the right-hander you're going to if it's the seventh inning? Maybe it's Romano. Okay, who gets the ninth? Like, they need more. So, And they need more guys who are not just filler, but who can actually get results against the best hitters in baseball. Totally. And now, uh, hey, Hunjin Ryu's glute is barking, and you know you got to push him back a, a start. And, oh, hey, this guy got covid and uh you know that guy yeah. like was in a rundown and like blew out his hamstring or his calf or something like that like that stuff can snowball awfully quick so like you you do still have to pay attention to just the the volume game a little bit we've seen like so much of 2021 mlb is just a war of attrition and just like who has more um you know replacement level dudes or above to kind of throw in and to replace players who get injured because obviously like just across baseball you're seeing an unprecedented amount of injuries for every club and the blue jays obviously everybody knows about all the injuries that they've had to deal with i don't think there's ever going to be a time 
where you're looking at the Blue Jays roster and you're like, oh, everybody is healthy and everybody is performing and nobody's on the 60 day and nobody needs an extra uh, day in this rotation. Like you are always going to be managing those things. So you have to definitely be wary of the volume game here as well. I mean, it's why the more we talk about it, I am expecting a trade deadline that looks a lot like the last one. And I don't know if it's going to happen soon. I think it'll probably happen closer to July 30th. But I could see four, five, six trades again. I think it was five trades last year. I could see a similar volume of deals for this club this year as, as they try to just build as much depth and, and you know just give themselves as many options as possible down the stretch. That'd be awesome. Always, always <laughs> ready for more trades. So Exciting. I would welcome that. <laughs> totally. Uh, ben would be very excited. Uh, let's step away. But when we continue, we'll talk Gabby Moreno, we'll talk starters, and we'll talk sticky stuff as we must always these days in MLB when we continue on At The Letters. It continues on at the letters Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson Smith. Our producers are Mike Tassoni and Christian Ryan. And it is time now for Keeping It Light, presented by Miller Light. to uh, remind everybody that you can submit any ideas that you have for keeping it light to at the letters at sportsnet.ca you can also enter for a chance to win a miller light relief catcher glove you can go to www.millerlight.ca slash relief catcher to check it out we are giving one away to an atl listener just hit us up at at the letters at sports.ca and let us know how many double plays you believe the blue jays are going to turn in july and also give us a tiebreaker answer which is vladimir guerrero jr's july ops so two answers double plays turn in july Vlad Jr.'s July OPS. Need predictions on those two. Get them in before the end of the month because we won't accept any once July has begun. Got a ton of entries so far. Good to see. Still got some time to get it in. This week's Keeping a Light topic comes from the email at layers at sports.ca. And this one is from Mike in Edmonton who writes the following. Suppose MLB and the MLBPA agree on an approved sticky goo. Won't certain pitchers still use the non-approved stuff and try to disguise it as the approved stuff? MLB will need to hire chemists to do random sample collection in-game. At a high level, this is really unfortunate. Instead of celebrating star players, we dump on the game. What do you think about what Mike and Edmonton had to say about the, uh, the sticky stuff situation, Ben? Well, it's been so interesting this last week. And I think Mike makes a great point when it comes to just the big picture discussion about the game. I mean, this is a week where Wander Franco debuted for the Rays, hit a home run in his first game. So exciting to see that kind of performance on a big stage right away. We still see Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Tatis and Acuna doing incredible things. Shohei Otani having just a historic season This is where my attention is, Jacob deGrom, every time he takes the mound. It's very interesting to see, you know, is he going to allow three total bases or is it going to be two? Like, it's it's fun (laughs) to watch the game uh, on a weekly basis. And so I actually think, and this, I think the shelf life on this stuff is probably short. Like, I don't know that seeing Sergio Romo drop his drawers in September is going to have quite the same entertainment value as it did the first time. But for now, I actually find that stuff quite entertaining, too, as just like a weird quirk of this bizarre game. It's like these pitchers are disrobing on the mound. What like what is happening? But it's still pretty entertaining to watch, at least for now. Yeah, it is bizarre. I'll give you that. It is theater of the absurd right now across MLB. And it is embarrassing, in my opinion, that. Like, think about it. If you're just a casual sports fan, you don't watch baseball every night. You just kind of watch the highlights, right, and see what's going on across a variety number of leagues. The only baseball highlights you've probably seen in the last couple days are pitchers angrily taking off their pants. Uh, (laughs) And Max Scherzer having to, like, bow his head to an umpire so he can run his fingers through his hair. Like, what the hell is happening? Like, what are we doing? And of course it's come to this, right? Because just MLB, I just, 
I, I, I want to give them benefit of the doubt. You know, I really like baseball. I really like the sport, man. I really love pitching. It's really super interesting to me, velocity and spin rates and, and breaking balls and seeing batters and pitchers like squaring off against each other and the strategy and everything that goes into, you know, an eight, nine, 10 pitch plate appearance. Like that's really cool to me. Seeing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming up in big spots and sitting on breaking balls and hitting them a million miles. I just seeing, you know, base running decisions, tactical decisions, everything that goes on within a game is so interesting to me. And then I just see the decisions that MLB makes. It's not even just the sticky stuff debacle, the all-star game uniforms today, Ben, that came out. Like, are you kidding me with this? It was so cool that everybody wore their own uniform in the all-star game. It looked so cool and it was so colorful and alive and vibrant. And now you're putting everyone in what has to be one of the most hideous kits that I have ever seen. And like longtime ATL listeners will know, I don't like get upset about this stuff. Like, right. You're not a jerseys guy. I don't care, man. Like, like I like the Diamondbacks kit. Like I like that stuff. Oh, no. I only like their Canyon jerseys. Like the the off-white ones are amazing, but the concrete gray ones remind me of just mixing cement. I like it. I like when teams try different stuff. I like that stuff. I like the classics with the Red Sox and Yankees, obviously, and the Cubs. Like it's, it's pretty hard to create a uniform that like offends me. These all-star uniforms offend me. Yeah. They are hideous and they are terrible. And I don't know what the hell MLB is doing in essentially any decision that it has made over the last like five years. You know, I'll say this about the All-Star jerseys. There's a reason that purple and red is not a commonly chosen uniform combination. You don't see a lot of purple and red teams across major sports. And I think with good reason. It's just, it's so gross. And so, yeah, the the sticky stuff issue is, of course, it has come to this, right? And I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. Like, I think you're only going to see pitchers getting more and more irate about it, you know? And there are certain guys who are kind of taking it in stride. But there are certain guys who are maniacs on the mound and who are a little bit crazy, like Max Scherzer. There's going to be certain situations where, like, a guy might give up, like, in September, like, in a pennant race, like, a massive you know go ahead home run to the opposite team and and come off the field really pissed off and then have to be pulled back by the umpires to be checked and like the reaction and the like just emotion how upset that guy might be in that situation and what we might see i'm forgetting the guy's name but the orioles called up some like 30 year old knuckleballer the other day and he got checked the entire point of a knuckleball is for (laughs) there to be as little spin as possible yeah as little spin as possible and you're checking him it is not to his advantage to use sticky stuff he doesn't want the ball to spin i just don't get what we're doing here yeah well you know what baseball never ceases to entertain and for now like i don't know how long it's going to last for now these confrontations are super entertaining and you know i i do feel for i got like max scherzer in that situation where you've got Joe Girardi just causing this chaos, right? And then, I mean, the umpires are in an impossible position and what a horrible task, especially in the COVID era, but really at any time, just to have to dig your fingers through someone's sweaty hair. Those guys are really putting up with a lot. And then, yeah, you've got the aftermath too, where it's like Mike Rizzo is calling Joe Girardi a con artist. I mean, this is, it's pretty entertaining stuff for now. And baseball is entertainment. So I embrace it for now. I, you know, look, if I was... In the MLB head office, I would have a very different perspective and you would be looking to establish order and you would be looking to ensure consistency. But from where I sit right now, I mean, it's something I'm just kind of trying to enjoy the ride with and observe and see where it goes. This just isn't what you want the attention to be on in your sport. No. This isn't what you want people talking about with your sport. And there is also like the conspiracy theorist in me is kind of like, wait, why is MLB trying to kind of turn pitchers and hitters against each other right now and seek divisiveness among the players? Oh, yeah, there's a CBA negotiation coming up. But that's probably a, a discussion for another day. But that is something that is very much on my radar with all this. Either let's find a substance that everyone can agree upon you can use and like i like kind of you know pitched facetiously a couple of episodes ago but now i think it's actually is what they should do just have a little vat of it behind the mound and that's what you can use everybody agree on the approved substance let's use that or 
do a better job of like rubbing up these baseballs and having some sort of attackiness on the baseballs. Like they did in Japan, like in the Japanese league, they changed what they put on the balls. Pitchers could get better grip. I think pitchers right now are pissed off because they get some of these balls. A, it's not consistent. Every ball you get might be a little bit different. B, some of them are just like described by pitchers as cue balls. They can't get any kind of grip on because there is this kind of weird process before each game where this mud from these very specific mountains is like rubbed up on the balls by the human hand. And it's, there's just no consistency there. So let's, let's just kind of like get some sort of regulation on this one way or the other, because what's happening right now is not good for the sport. And you even think about, you know, Max Scherzer, why was his hair like, you know, so wet? Like, why would he keep rubbing his hair? Because he's looking for sweat so he can mix that with the rosin to get some grip. And he said, like, I was tired of licking my hand after every pitch and tasting rosin. Can you imagine after every pitch licking your, like, rosin-covered filthy hand in the middle of a baseball game? That sucks. This can't be the answer. It's the year 2021. We need to do better. That's definitely fair. I think as an offshoot of this, hopefully it helps uh, address another issue in Major League Baseball, which has been just the dominance of pitchers and the difficulty in scoring runs. I would welcome some more offense into Major League Baseball. I think, you know, as as people who watch the Blue Jays, you and I see a lot of offense. Our listeners see a lot of offense, but not every team hits the way the Blue Jays do. And so for some of those more middling teams, like it's probably a good thing if teams like the I don't know, the Pirates and the Brewers and the Diamondbacks are scoring a few more runs and and having a little bit more ability to put the ball in play. A funny kind of offshoot consequence of this as well is like, I don't know that this is going to inspire much player movement like via trade over the next couple of weeks because I think teams now kind of have to like reassess how they feel about every pitcher in baseball yes. who is now like having to make adjustments and like certain guys you know weren't using that much sticky stuff as it was so they're going to be fine certain guys were using a lot of sticky stuff you're going to see the spin rates come back way down now you got to reassess how you feel about how their pitchers perform certain guys are going to change the way they grip the ball and that could change their effectiveness that could lead to injury like that can change a whole host of things so now as like a buyer at the trade deadline is the blue jays ought to be you kind of got to wait to see each guy that you might be targeting go out and see how he pitches and see how he does and see how he makes those adjustments before you're really going to feel confident in acquiring that guy yeah i think that's a very real consideration it has to be right i mean it would be irresponsible for teams not to wonder about that and not to pursue that and so we know how data oriented these teams are. They're not going to send one pro scout to watch a guy one time and say with the eye test, yeah, he's fine. We're good to go. We can acquire him. That's not how they operate. So what they're going to do is they're going to check multiple times over multiple outings. They're going to look at the data. That's going to take more time because small samples, we know how major league teams feel about small samples and understandably so. So that means likely a couple of weeks for most of these deals. Uh, in some cases, you know, we could see exceptions, of course. But for teams to feel fully comfortable about parting with a prospect they value highly, they probably want to be sure this wasn't a creation of spider tack and that this is a real ability and skill that they're acquiring. Speaking of uh, MLB mandated discipline in a way that we are sort of speaking of, uh, Alec Manoa has been suspended for five games for throwing at Michael Franco, allegedly. Runs total in his first four starts has given up four already this afternoon. And now he hits Michael Franco, who is not pleased. And Man uh, I hope Manoa is saying I didn't mean it. And now the benches are going to clear. We can't judge intent. MLB is, uh, I guess, deciding that they can. The umpires in that game clearly decided that they could because they threw him out without warnings being issued or uh, you know much of a discussion at all. They just chucked him. Charlie Montoyo did not get ejected from that game and yet still had to serve a one-game suspension. Did nothing. <laughs> he just was managing. He was just sitting in the dugout, and he has to miss a game. What do you make of some of this discipline that has been handed down to the young Blue Jays starter and his manager? You know, I, I understand if there are Jays fans that are frustrated by it. To me, it's kind of a non-issue, like, to be honest with you. And I, I think it's interesting. But I think, like, first of all, a five-game 
suspension for a starting pitcher. You just time the appeal right. And so he's scheduled to start on the weekend. Something tells me that he might have a change of heart after he starts and decide to drop the appeal then. And then at that point, you rest five days. Oh, it's good to go for your next turn. I mean, it's, you know, the timing of it kind of works pretty easily to the point that it doesn't really impact Manoa, who could probably benefit from a fifth day of rest anyway. So, yeah, I think uh, it's pretty low consequence for the Blue Jays. And we can't guess intent, but after two home runs in a row, I mean, we can guess intent. I know what I would guess. And, you know, when I think about my guess, which is, yes, he threw at him intentionally. Well, I don't really have a problem with the suspension there because you don't want to have a vigilante justice system encouraged. So overall, I just, to be honest with you, I have zero issue with any of this whatsoever. Yeah, I I don't know intent. I know what my own opinion is, and that's yeah. that he threw at him. Yeah, <laughs> in in a yeah. a moment of immaturity from a twenty three year old on the mound, and I think that you know the Blue Jays would much rather that Alec Manoa in that moment thinks, "Oh, I'm really pissed off. You just hit two home runs off me. I'm gonna get my revenge by making you look foolish, swinging through my fastball and chasing a wicked slider instead of I'm gonna throw at a guy here." Like, what would Hyunjin Ryu do in that situation? He's not yeah. going for revenge. No. He's just going for an out. What would Ross Stripling do in that situation? He's probably not going to throw at the guy. But yeah, so, they, and again, speculating, I don't know what his intent was. But but also, even say he did throw at him, I think Michael Franco's reaction is what got Alec Manoa tossed from that game, really, right? If Michael Franco hadn't reacted, if he had just kind of like jogged to first base, does he get chucked from that game, Alec Manoa? Probably not. It's just a pitch that got away, right? Does he get suspended? Certainly not, I don't think. But now he's got this five-game suspension. And yeah, it's easy to kind of strategically manage this thing. You could do it around the All-Star break too, right? That would be a super easy way of, of doing it, right? After his final If you can wait that long, yeah. Yeah, if you can put the appeal off by that long. I don't know how the appeals are working in the era of COVID, if you still have to wait until the team is in New York or if they do this by Zoom now or whatever. But yeah, if you could wait that long. Just do it around the all-star break and you can easily manipulate it that way. I mean, I will say that there isn't a ton of consistency from MLB when you consider that. And I know these guys are relievers, but Ryan Tapera intentionally threw at Brandon Woodruff earlier this season and admitted so after the game came out and said, I was trying to send a message. He only got three games. We all remember the like unwritten rule violation of your Mercedes and how Tyler Duffy pretty clearly threw at him intentionally he only got three games um i get it those guys are relievers but like the act is the same right like the crime is the same so i don't know why the punishment wouldn't be consistent like what did joe kelly get for throwing at the astros you know like i just don't you know there should be some sort of consistency here in what players get for incidents like this and you know the whole thing was just kind of rotten and especially like charlie montoyo getting suspended for a game there's no reason i understand that's the rule it's a dumb rule charlie montoyo didn't do anything he was just sitting there <laughs> he did nothing charlie montoyo was like yeah. one of the hardest managers to run from a game like he oh, so yeah. rarely gives the umpire any reason to even like raise their voice at him like he is just not that type of dude as a manager for him to get suspended i guess it's, it's all pretty small stuff but uh you know a lot of it didn't sit great with me shout out to ryan tapera for just admitting that he's throwing at guys <laughs> i mean as people who you know work in the media and appreciate candor i mean uh, yeah i gotta love that response were you trying to hit him yeah i want to send a message that's great Speaking of young starters, Nate Pearson obviously uh, is back on the injured list with the same injury that he's had twice already this year. It's a right groin strain. And if you heard Mark Shapiro on leadoff with uh, Mike Zygmanis and Scott MacArthur this morning here on Thursday, June the 24th, Mark Shapiro said Nate Pearson is off to see a fourth specialist, like a fourth opinion. They have been flying him around to see multiple professionals. That kind of like raised some some warning flags for me because typically if you're seeing four different specialist professionals, whatever they are about this, those four guys aren't all going to be like, hey, yeah, just take two weeks off of it. <laughs> like, yeah, just rest for a little bit. To me, like it seems like we are edging towards territory where we might be looking at something more substantial. I don't know. I am just speculating. Typically, when you see that many professionals, you know, sometimes a procedure follows situations like that. 
it's true and totally yeah I would echo what you're saying we're speculating here but if the first specialist says hey looks good take a week off and the second specialist says yeah the first specialist was right we'll see you in seven days you're not seeing a third specialist you're not seeing a fourth specialist so i don't know what the details are but it doesn't look good and for a blue jays team that entered this season with such high hopes for pearson it's a blow to their chances in the short term in long term it's not good either and for Pearson, viewing it through his perspective a little bit, what a lost season this has been so far. And we don't know what where this is going to lead for the rest of the season. But the first half, I mean, essentially is a lost first half for him. And the second half is pretty uncertain right now. So, you know, at this point, best case, he comes back at some point later in the summer. He builds back up. He's a starter. Okay, that's the best case. Maybe a medium case is he comes back and he's a reliever. And, you know, there are worst case scenarios to contemplate beyond that. Yeah, it's hard for me to see the case where he comes back as a starter, Ben, because you think about Mm -hmm. the last time that he had this in spring training took six weeks for him to to get back. So, like, even if we just kind of use that as a ballpark estimate from where we sit now in late June, six weeks from now, I mean, how much minor league season is going to be left? How much runway is there going to be for him to get built up as a starter? The Blue Jays are still going to need bullpen help in the big leagues. Like, I feel like at that point, the best thing for both team and Nate Pearson, who at that point, if hopefully he's healthy and able to get back off of a mound, is just going to need some sort of positivity to end on this season, like something to take away from 2021, which you're right, the first half is a complete write-off. I'd throw him out of the bullpen and you can go two innings. Um, you know, you can get stretched out like a little bit, but I wouldn't throw him as a starter. I would just do the like 2015 Aaron Sanchez thing and just like bring him up as, as a reliever, get him out of the big league bullpen, get him feeling good about himself, getting outs, you know, missing bats in the big leagues, you know, pitching on a, a, a nice little kind of schedule. You can manage the workload nicely. Just give him something positive to take away because clearly like this upcoming off season for Nate Pearson, this upcoming winter is going to include a lot of adjusting and a lot of assessments, a lot of soul searching, a lot of figuring out like what is going wrong, like what he needs to do differently going forward, whether it's in his workload, in his mechanics, in his delivery, in how he lifts between starts and how he conditions himself, like whatever it is, like all that stuff's going to have to be assessed and changes are going to have to be made. And that's going to be a pretty involved process to hopefully get him back to a place where he can be a quality starter in 2022 and beyond whenever the work stoppage ends. Like, I just think that, you know, the priority for Nate Pearson at the end of this year just needs to be giving him something positive to take away and getting him getting outs and back on a mound. And that also would be most beneficial for the Blue Jays, who at that point could really use some stuff like his coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, fair points. I mean, that 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 would be fine. That would be a totally fine outcome. I mean, if they can get him back, that that's, you know, the most important step. Um, one that he's so far really been un- unable to take. And when he did pitch in the majors this year, it wasn't good. So very frustrating times for Pearson. And it does make me think, I mean, what a good thing for this organization that Manoa has been able to develop to this point so quickly, right? Just two years after being drafted, he's getting them pretty good results. And not to say that every time he's bringing that consistency and he clearly has some things to work through, as we we're just talking about, even when it comes to, you know, a composure or game management standpoint. But I think that the overall performance for a rookie has been very encouraging. And he's someone the Jays need right now. You look at that rotation, it's quietly been a a real strength of this team as they've progressed through the last six weeks or so. And Manoa's been a big part of that along with the other four. Last thing to touch on this week is Gabriel Moreno because we we must. We can't not. Every night, Ben, it is it's something, right? He's hitting a ball off a hotel like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. used to. He's walking four times in a game. He's coming up with, you know, bases clearing, base hits. And, you know, it was another two knocks uh, on Wednesday night. I mean, the multi-hit games are piling up. He's now through 31 games, 140 play appearances at double A, hitting 385, 450, 672. So eleven twenty-two OPS. And oh, by the way, he's hitting so well that they're finding ways to keep his bat in the lineup as a third baseman. What can you say about the season that Gabriel Moreno is having as a 21-year-old catcher at AA? Incredible season. Incredible start for Moreno. And it's really interesting. Like you mentioned the 385 average. And I obviously check 
his results every day now. And so the other day he's hitting 385. He has another two hit game and his average doesn't change. It stays at 385 because <laughs> he's already hitting so high on the season. So, I mean, that's when you know you're, it's like Vladdy a couple of years ago. That's when you're having an incredible, incredible season. So super encouraging. Clearly he still has more room to grow. It's not like we're talking about a finished product. It's not like we're talking about guarantees, but it's hard to fake this even at double A. I mean, you have a lot of good pitchers at that level. And I don't think that, you know, he's he's fluking his way into this. You mentioned the plate discipline. You mentioned the power. I mean, this is a great combination of skills. He's got the athleticism to play some third, probably could play shortstop if you really had to throw him there or left field, you know, and not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but this is someone who's clearly on a fast track. I, I think AAA is within reach for him this season. I'm not ruling out the major leagues, but either way, we're talking about someone who is making very big strides very rapidly at a key position, and he's catching the attention of people not only in the Blue Jays organization, but across the industry as someone who really deserves uh, a lot of attention and, and could be a star player at some point. Infielder by trade. That's the thing, right? He's a converted shortstop. So that does open up some intriguing possibilities over the back half of this season. As you mentioned, we would be very much getting ahead of ourselves to like envision ways that he gets onto the big league roster. But hey, let's just go ahead and get ahead of ourselves here. He played third base the other night. I don't think that's going to be the last time you see him play third base. I think you're going to continue to see that. And I think that that ability to play on the left side of the infield could be an interesting way to get him to the big leagues. Because look, at 21 years old, if you're going to be bringing him up in September, he's on the 40-man roster, remember, so he's taken up a pretty valuable roster spot. He would be an option for this club. If you're bringing him up in September, do you want to throw him into like a playoff race, like catching, you know, a dude like Robbie Ray or, you know, trying to, you know, work Ross Stripling through whatever he's going through or like catching a Hunjin Ryu? Like these are big time assignments and there's a lot going on. Like it is the toughest position to transition to the big leagues at catcher just because you have to do so much game planning reading swings attacking hitters game calling controlling the running game like there's just so much going on blocking pitches framing balls and then you have to hit so if the blue jays are really like have that much belief in the bat impacting their club this year maybe bring him up to play a little third base right maybe he, he dhs here and there uh, maybe he gets a game or two catching but it's not you know you're not relying on him in really big spots you know to to be like a you know catching like a ryu or a, or a ray or somebody in a really big start like there could be other ways you could use him on this roster because he has that versatility it's interesting right like you we are starting to see a wave of blue jays prospects coming up that have like crazy amounts of versatility like it is kind of like that organizational philosophy that we have heard so much about for years about you know using guys in different spots but we're now like finally starting to see it like Otto Lopez has played like every position around the diamond this year at double A along with Moreno. You're seeing like Jordan Groshans playing both short and third. You're seeing Austin Martin yep. playing both short and center field. Or Elvis Martinez has been playing short and third base. We mentioned Samad Taylor earlier. I mean, he's been playing outfield and infield. You know, Kevin Smith short and third. Logan Warmoth was a shortstop now out playing in in the outfield Miguel Geraldo and Leo Jimenez and guys like this are playing all over the diamond like the Blue Jays are really grooming like these multi-positional dudes and we're starting to see them advance through the minors so like maybe there is a little sort of Russell Martin mold for for a guy like Gabe Moreno where he's not just a catcher he can be a third baseman as well totally I mean that's a great case scenario if you can get there I think the bat will tell us a lot as he continues at double A, as he eventually progresses to triple A, about you know whether he deserves to be in that conversation. Because, you know, you're not going to call him up on a whim. You're obviously going to be very cautious and, and just responsible and deliberate when it comes to that timeline for him. But we saw it with Kirk last year where the Blue Jays sped things up once Kirk showed, in his case at the alt site, that he was deserving and he was ready. Kirk was ready for that challenge as, as big as it was. And so with Kirk returning, now you've got Reese McGuire, Danny Jansen, Riley Adams. You're probably okay for big league catching depth. But again, if that bat continues producing and you're looking at someone who, I mean, if he's hitting 385 at AAA, let's say he goes to double or, or sorry, at double A, progresses up a level at some point and he's still hitting 
at AAA and and hitting for power and doing all the things around his uh, preparation that you like to see, then he can put himself in that conversation. And that's a crazy uh, amount of progress for a young player. And not to be this guy, but Chance Sisko was DFA'd by the Baltimore Orioles this week. He was one of the top catching prospects in the game not that long ago. Uh, we saw Scott Kingery getting outrighted earlier this month. That's a guy who, like, when the Philadelphia Phillies signed him to, like, a six-year deal before he'd ever made his MLB debut, everyone said, you geniuses, what a smart move. You just locked up, you know, the next superstar on such a great deal. And now here he is getting outrighted. You and I were, were talking on a different platform the other day, and you brought up, you know, Travis Darnode and J.P. Arancibia yeah. and, like, catchers of the future that we have uh, dreamed on in the past, or Blue Jays fans have dreamed on in the past. So, we just got to be cautious here. You know, just, you know, plenty of guys have torn up double A and put up great numbers there and, and fizzled out by the time they get to the big leagues. But that also speaks to how the Blue Jays need to be cautious with Moreno's development as well and his progression and just how they move him up and how they give him new challenges. And I wonder if at a position like catching this and as involved as it is, if you don't have to be a little bit more cautious. Although, I mean, what happened with Alejandro Kirk last year kind of flies in the face of that as well. Totally. You know, and it's... It- gets to a broader question which Dan and Tabby were were talking about the other night on the broadcast of how would you want to construct your team you know would you want to have a lot of pitchers and a lot of position players and to me the answer would be position players and let's hope that's the way the Blue Jays view things because their farm system definitely tilts one way and it's toward position players at this point and I'm including in that the young guys who are in the major leagues like Vladdy and Bo I mean that's clearly their offensive core for the years to come and they've got more coming on that front i think that's a good way to go obviously the ideal is you have both and there's no reason you can't have both but at a time that pearson is hurt they don't have as much pitching and they do have a lot of position players yes absolutely good point ben we're going to end the podcast but i want to thank all the fans for listening you can uh, write us at, at the letters at sportsnet.ca uh, ben's on twitter at b nicholson smith i'm on twitter at arden swelling our producers as always thank you so much for their work our mike sony and christian ryan talk to you next time on at the letters